Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. And as always, before we start reading in Job chapter 3, I would like it if you have your Bibles open to the book of James. In the fifth chapter, we will be beginning in the seventh verse. The seventh, we've currently, we've spent a couple weeks focusing on a single verse that tells us what the book of Job is about. But if we start in the seventh verse, we understand the context of what St. James is saying. So hear the word of our Lord from St. James, the fifth chapter, beginning in the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. When we get into Job chapter 3, which kicks off all of the dialogue, the rich dialogue in the book of Job, we're going to be looking at the character of Job. And we interpret scripture with scripture. If the words of Job seem like an impatient man who doesn't know what he is talking about, if the book of Job paints Job himself as an impetuous, impatient, immature man, we are missing what the Bible says about his character, that he had steadfastness, that he had a foundation of faith which would not be moved in spite of the complaints that he has. So even though we are going to run across difficulties in interpreting the book of Job, we must keep in mind what the Bible says about the man as the bedrock of our assumptions and interpretations of his speech. So going from there, then we turn to the book of Job. We're going to be in chapter 3. For those who may have not heard the first two sessions in the Job study series. In the first chapter, we see Job presented as a righteous man, probably the most righteous man on earth at this time, who was always faithful to the Lord. He sought the good. He turned away from evil, and God had blessed his socks off. But the devil, Satan, the accuser, comes up and says, well, he only loves you because you blessed him, God. And he begins to accuse God. So what appears to be a cosmic bet is actually God making a point about the nature of a saved man's faith. That he would remain even after the devil took everything from Job, his children, his cattle, his servants, 
uh, most of the structures in his home. And then subsequently after that, when Job remained steadfast in the faith, the devil is allowed to harm his body, including his relationship with his wife, who is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She turns against him. And thus far, we do see Job acting in a prophetic, pastoral way, even in the face of his wife's seeming unfaithfulness, while she too is being tormented. And then his friends show up. We have his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They come and they weep for him. They stay with him for seven days in utter silence because they see, as Job 2 verse 13 says, no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now we're going to keep going and start in earnest in the third chapter. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not see it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out of the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold or filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? Therefore the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest, where there the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster, the small and the greater there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul? Who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. But trouble comes. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we get into Job's opening rant, his cry of contrition, we must recall what St. James says about Job. Job was a steadfast man. He was faithful. During this time, it is twice now 
that the book of Job says very clearly, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So during this time, Job has lost everything. But he has not lost that title that God has given to him, the man who was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He is still steadfast in his faith, even when we hear him cry out in absolute misery. So we have, at the beginning of this dialogue, him not cursing God, him not cursing his wife, nor cursing his children, nor the Sabians, nor the Chaldeans, nor anybody else that has harmed him. This man, in his loving Christian heart, for indeed in the Old Testament all the saints were Christians before what we know as the Christian church was established. The church has been here since Genesis chapter 3 when that was established. But here, he has an agape love for others that says, I will not curse these other people. And he says, I will not curse my God whom I love. But his flesh, his old Adam, as we can observe, is yearning to curse Something, his sorrowful and miserable heart aches to just say something. And ultimately, his speech here tells us that he wishes he was dead. He cursed the day of his birth. Let the day perish on which I was born. Let that day be darkness, as we see in verse 4, verse 5. Let gloom and deep darkness Claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Thick darkness. When we see a motif of darkness, it is obscuring, covering up. This should be a day that is blotted out of history. Let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. This is a fun expression of saying, I wish there had been no opening cry from my infant lips. At this time, Job's sorrow overtaking him says, I wish I was dead. But that should lead us to notice something. Job could have killed himself. There are... Many people out there who decide to murder themselves in light of their great sorrow. In the year of our Lord, 2023, I believe that we are now 13 or 15 years into the largest suicide epidemic in the United States alone. We, we hear every now and then about how deaths of despair are considered one of the highest frequency deaths, the, the bulk of deaths. You have your heart disease, you have your cancer, and then you have suicide or the death of despair, a euphemism for people losing themselves in drugs and eventually finding themselves in a grave from that. Job says he wishes he would be dead, that he wishes he was never born. 
He wishes he had visited the grave upon his very first day. Upon taking a single breath, he wishes he was dead. But he will not take the shards of pottery that he has been using to burst the blisters on his skin. He refuses to use this to slit his wrists or to stab himself in the heart or to slit his own throat. Remember, Job is a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. He is not giving into despair, even though he is expressing his misery. St. James praises his steadfastness, and though his very soul is strained in this moment, he does not kill himself, he does not curse God, he does not do anything which would besmirch the character of the man and the prophet Job. We must maintain this perspective because that is what scripture tells us about the man. The same way when the book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Samson, one of the judges of Israel, that he was a man of faith of wonderful, high-achieving faith. We cannot think of Samson as a blithering idiot or an immature fool. The Bible calls him a saint, somebody with the kind of faith that the author of Hebrews says is saving faith. Interpreting Scripture with Scripture, then, we must conclude that what Job is saying, while he curses the day of his birth, is not sin. It is unwise, and certainly we might say it borders on sinful for him to say that in this very moment he wishes he would pass away, but he is steadfast, holding on to life. So he says, let the stars of its dawn be dark, obscure everything, nothing should be seen of a little boy named Job. Let it hope for light, but have none. Dash the hopes of my mother, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. And now he gets explicit, saying, Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breasts that I should nurse? At this point, we might notice a bit of cognitive distortion on Job's part when he begins speaking about the grave. For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver, Let's turn to Job chapter 38 for just a moment, and we're going to note something that some people misinterpret quite often. Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
Job's conception of the afterlife, where just everybody is there and you sleep, I guess, where you're just floating. When he says there, the grave, in verse 17 of chapter 3, the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest, there the prisoners are at ease together, they hear not the voice of the taskmaster, the small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master, he is speaking from ignorance about the afterlife. The book of Job does not exist in a vacuum. It is a, a book, probably the first book written of scripture, but it is one of the 66 volumes in the library that we call the Bible. So as Christians in the New Testament era, we can say that Job does not understand what he is talking about. He has no conception of heaven nor hell. Perhaps he has an idea that God abides in his throne room. Maybe he understands that the dwelling of angels and the dwelling of the spirits that are good, being with God, are there in that heaven. But for the grave itself, his desire for it it comes from a place of saying, if I was in a place of rest and peace, the grave, I wouldn't be seeing any trouble whatsoever because everybody's there, we're all just dead. Uh, Sheol would be the term later used uh, among the Hebrews in the Old Testament. The grave. He's saying this without understanding what God will later reveal to us saints in Holy Scripture. When God says, who is this? Who, who do you think you are? What do you even think you know? We must admit as Christians that we are privileged to know a great deal more than Job did. This is not to disparage his wisdom. This does not cast a slanderous light on his theological knowledge. But simply put, Job, prophet though he was, saint though he is, he did not know. And out of that ignorance comes the feeling that if I had just died when I was born, or if I had just been a stillborn I would not have gone through any of this trouble, as if that would ever be his choice in the first place, as though that would be a better alternative to what did happen. Job does not know that this book, the book of Job, will one day be written by his own hand, as I believe, to give comfort to every Christian. At this time, as he expresses his misery, he does not know what he will know looking back with ten more children, looking back with ever more cattle, with his family, all of his relatives coming to personally comfort and enrich him in the midst of his sorrows. Right now, all he knows is his pain. And he asks a very important question. In verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? 
who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? He asks now, he asks, why? He does not ask, why did this happen to me? After all, in the very beginning of this book, he has thrown up his hands and said, God has given, God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord my God. He does not at this time ask, why? Why did this happen to me? Instead, he asks, why am I still alive? Why can't I just die now? And the answer to that, presumably, is that the book of Job had not been written. The conversations are not over. God has not taken the opportunity to re-bless Job and give him many more days and many more happy years in the future. But he does not know that. He does not know where he will be many years from now. He does not know about his future blessings. To the contrary, all he knows is pain and the desire for it to end. Now, a note about these dialogues. Because after this, in chapter 4, his friends are going to speak. And this is among the closest examples. This is probably the shining example of times in which the Bible will use what you might call an unreliable narrator. Job's friends are well-to-do wise men. They are well-to-do, they are well-educated, their poetry is elaborate, the same way Job's poetry is elaborate. And they're going to speak, but not everything they say is correct. Some of it is, and some of it is not. Some of their statements are later on quoted by authors of Scripture as something that is correct, leading us, the reader and interpreters, to have to use a great deal of discernment. Thankfully, we are not there right now. At this moment, we have a clear example of a man who is steadfast, but in total abject misery. This is what it looks like when a wonderfully faithful man experiences this kind of pain. He does not blame God. He does not blame others. He does not take the opportunity to kill himself by his own hand or speak rashly and foolishly to his wife. To the contrary, he finds the one thing that nobody would blame him for cursing. Himself and his own birth. Himself for having to live the life that he has lived thus far. And in this sense, when St. James tells us to learn from Job, when he tells us to consider his steadfastness, we can look at this chapter and see a good example. And though it is not advisable for any of us to curse our own birth, as Job does, it is good to see what he does not curse and go from there to take that as an example 
and put that into our own hearts and attitude that we shall not abuse our lips by cursing unjustly. Next week, we will get into the first of Job's friends, Eliphaz, speaking to Job with the standard wisdom of his day. And it will teach us why Job has on occasion been called anti-wisdom. But that said, that we'll have to wait until next week. If anybody has any questions or if they would like to join for the fellowship time, the questions and answers or uh, yelling at the pastor for fun and sport that can come during this time, please send me an email at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com so you can join in on the conversations that we get to have after that. If you've been missing out, well, here's your opportunity next week to join in. But until then, we will catch you all then. Amen and amen.